0: Welcome, everyone. Uh, this morning, we are speaking with Tanya Harris, all the way from Australia. So, we want to welcome her. It's our coffee time, it's early in the morning there. So, welcome, Tanya. Thank you, Jackie. So good to talk to you. Now they'll know why they hear that accent.
1: We can't wait to listen
0: to it the whole way through. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't understand because I'm not a big fan of my own accent. I love your, I reason, love to listen. You and I talked uh, for about
0: an hour, uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked for about an hour and I loved listening to your, your accent. So I'm sure our listeners are going to enjoy it too. I am. I want to catch our, our listeners up to speed about why I wanted to talk to you specifically about this issue of hearing God's voice, which you just happen to be an expert at, at that subject. And I want to start by um, letting my audience know a little bit about where I come from when when it comes to this. And and as many of you out there listening know, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, and I didn't go to a church, and and I never read a Bible, and I really didn't know any Christians. And I came to faith, and shortly after I came to faith, I started reading my Bible, of which not one word made sense. And of course, I started in Genesis 1, because, you know, that's how you're supposed to read a book. You open it up and read the first first chapter, first verse. Um, And and none of it made sense. And as I was reading in the scriptures, something that didn't make sense, I did hear this like inner voice along the way that said, you need to go to seminary. And I knew like I knew that it was God. And I did not want to go to seminary. Even though I didn't know what seminary was, I knew I didn't want to go. And so I stopped reading my Bible. I kind of thought, if I'm not reading my Bible, then I can't hear God's voice. And I remember one night my husband, Steve, came home and he asked why I had stopped reading my Bible. And I said, because I think God is saying that we need to go to seminary and I don't want to go. And here's what's interesting. Steve, who had just gotten accepted to Cornell for his master's in business, said, Yeah, that's exactly what I think God's saying to me too. Yeah. Out of left field, right? Neither of us ever intended to be in ministry. Neither is out of left field. And I I said this to you the last time we talked is one of the ways I know that it's God's voice and not mine is because often God has asked me to do or is asking me to do things I actually don't want to do. And so I know it's not me going, oh, I can't wait to go to seminary, spend a lot of money and learn a bunch of stuff, you know? (laughs) Um, And as you know, I ended up going to a conservative evangelical seminary uh, where it was taught that the charismatic gifts had ceased. Now, you need to understand, I didn't know anything about Christianity. And so the whole idea of the word charismatic – Gifts, didn't even know what that meant. Ceased, didn't know what all that was about. I was, you know, simply trying to figure out how Jesus walked on water. So this whole conversation that was going on about spiritual gifts and who had them and who didn't and did they still exist? And, and, and if so, you know, how? And I, I just wasn't even involved in that conversation. But the bottom line is my training taught me that hearing God's voice happens through study of scripture and listening to preachers' sermons. And even Mm. though I continued to teach that, now that is actually what I was taught. And that's actually how I taught about hearing God's voice. It actually didn't line up with my own experience. Because from the very get-go, God spoke to me through an inner voice, through visions and dreams. But that just wasn't acceptable to say. And so here's how I got to Tanya. I um, went back into counseling this summer. And I was telling my counselor that I was really struggling with how to see the scriptures. Um, I can no longer read the scriptures the way I used to read them because I was taught from a lens that was developed from patriarchy and um, um, racist roots. And so I'm frustrated because I'm trying to figure out how do I relate now to God when I'm, if you will, deconstructing some. And my counselor said, well, why don't you go back to doing what you did before you knew so much? Like, why don't you just listen to the spirit? And so I'm walking with this woman during the pandemic. I'm outside in Austin. I'm on a walk, social distancing everyone. And um, she and her husband worked for Wycliffe. They were Wycliffe translators. And I'm sharing this with her. And she says, Oh my God, you have got to talk to my friend Tanya in Australia because she has this whole thing about God conversations. And so that is how we ended up together talking. And, um, Oh, let me see. Um, so, Tanya, I um, I, you know that many of my listeners are evangelicals, evangelical background. And right away, they're yes. going to be suspect of what you have to share today because they have been taught, just like I have, that the only way to hear God speak is through Bible and preacher. Um, and if I'm really honest... Even though I've had different experiences, I'm still a little suspect when somebody says, you know, they've had a dream or they've had a vision. Like, my first go-to is, yeah, sure, you know? So one of the things that I think would be helpful for our audience is if, um, in in your book, you you lay out an argument that this idea of God speaking in various ways is not only biblical, but it's something that our church has embraced since its inception. Sometimes it's been the majority uh, position, and other times it's been the minority position, but Share with our audience how the pendulum has swung back and forth, and specifically speak to the two significant periods, the Protestant Reformation and the Enlightenment, and how those particular eras came to influence our way of thinking in evangelicalism.
1: Yes. Well, can I, uh, Jackie, just perhaps by way of introduction, tell you a little bit of my background? Absolutely. Go for it. So your listeners can get to know my story because I found myself in exactly the same position as uh, the listeners and perhaps you when I was 21 years old. So I was raised in a very conservative church. We were a cessationist church, so we believed that the Spirit had effectively stopped speaking when the Bible was canonized. And I grew up in that tradition, so we had very lengthy sermons an hour long. I knew my Bible very well. I'd memorized books of the Bible. Um, my family gave me commentaries. my 16th birthday. Wow. <laughs> <Like> I was <laughs> a really good Christian. You were a geek. <laughs> <And> I, <laughs> uh, yeah, I just, you know, I've always had this heart to serve and please God, I think. And I, I had a very earnest faith, but I hit the age of 21. And then I met a friend at university, and uh, it was very clear to me very quickly that she did not know her Bible very well, but she talked about God very differently to me, and she had uh, feelings attached to her faith. She had experiential um, experiences attached to her faith. These were were things that were a no-no for us. Mm -hmm. She used to talk about God as almost like God was her next-door neighbor. She knew God personally, and I was really jealous of her, and I couldn't work out the difference. Mm. And then I went on this journey um, of revisiting the Book of Acts and just looking at, just very simply, because it's such a confusing landscape theologically, just very simply how the early church operated when the Spirit came and how often they heard from the Holy Spirit and they listened to what the Spirit said and they acted on it, and then miracles happened. So I thought, well, let's give it a try. You know, there's nothing I can see in the scripture that tells me that this has stopped but I've never heard God like that. And so I started to pray and God I said this crazy prayer, I said, God speak to me And um if you make it really clear because I'm I was so skeptical, I'd been trained that this was not so great. If you make it really clear I'll do whatever you say. And <laughs> it was a scary Ooh, prayer. That's a scary um, prayer. But it kind of <laughs> But it kind of worked. And I started to hear the voice of the Spirit. Uh, First of all, just as an internal voice, but then later on in visions and dreams. And it changed my life. And then it also raised uh, some questions because like you, I had a disconnect between my experience and what I'd been taught. And I, I, I wanted to understand why theologically we had arrived at such a different place from my experience and I started to investigate that for years actually and then recently I took on the, um, the job of doing it more formally through a PhD. So it's been for me probably a 25-year journey of trying to work this out culminating in my ministry which I do today, uh, God Conversations where I'm, I normally travel and speak on the topics but not in the last 12 months as you know the <laughs> pandemic right. has kept us well and truly within our borders. But I've been pondering these questions for a long, long time and I was so excited to have the opportunity to do it more formally through academic study, which I completed last year. So it felt to me like I reached the top of the mountain and Mm. um, things became crystal clear.
0: So with that, I mean, I, I had a chance to read your book and again, you talk a lot about you do, you do such a great job of laying out the history, the theology, um, very, very well grounded. In in my seminary, we'd go, "Oh, that woman is very grounded in Scripture, in theology, etc." So, share with us a little bit, since I don't think most of our audience understands how not only has this idea of God speaking in multiple ways um, his, his been a part of the church for a very long time, but also this pendulum swing. Um, ha- Evangelicals, where evangelicals, how we have gotten here has a lot to do with what happened um, through Luther's movement, the Protestant Reformation, and then also Enlightenment. So share a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, it helps, I think, to understand the history always, how do we get here? And so if you just read the New Testament, just very simply, you see, okay, well, Jesus, when he... Before he left, he announced, I'm going to send my spirit. This is in John 14 to 16. Mm-hmm. After I leave, I, I, I'm i going. You know, I think that would have been horrific for the disciples to hear mm-hmm. that because they would have had, you know, walking and talking Jesus, with the voice of God with them clearly for three years. And now suddenly Jesus announces that he's leaving. And then he says, but don't worry because my spirit I'm going to send to you and my spirit is going to speak to you about two things the first is that my spirit's going to remind you of what i've already said so the way i think that is helpful to understand that is what jesus had taught and demonstrated in the previous 3 years the foundation of the gospel who god is in jesus the full revelation of god my spirit's going to remind you of those things but i have so much more to tell you and You can't handle it right now because you're going to have so many questions, so many issues. But don't worry because my spirit is going to come on you and continue to speak to you about things to come. So when Jesus then leaves, dies, resurrects, is ascended into heaven. And then the day of Pentecost comes and the spirit falls on all of those assembled in Jerusalem. The apostle Peter stands up in the midst of it and says, this is what was promised, this is the new covenant. This is the day of inauguration, the moment that all the prophets have waited for. And now that the Spirit has fallen on you, and lots of signs and wonders and things happen on that day, but the thing that Peter notes significantly in his sermon is that, like Joel promised, the Spirit can now speak in dreams and visions and prophecy to sons and daughters, young and old, male and female. In other words, The way that God spoke to the old covenant prophets, which was largely through visions and dreams, and then they would prophesy the message to God's people, that was only for the prophets. That was a specialist calling and anointing just for people like Moses and Amos and Zechariah and Isaiah and what have you. But now Peter's saying this calling, this anointing, this privilege of receiving understanding from the Spirit, revelation from the Spirit is now given to everyone, sons and daughters, young and old so he points that out to be a key demarcation of the new covenant. Then what we see is that the word of God goes forth throughout the church, reminding people of the gospel. So we see people getting saved. We see people getting called into the church. We see the early church growing in their faith. But then we see the Spirit also speaking about those things to come. So as the mission goes forth, as Jesus' is calling and commission goes out into the world, we see the Spirit speaking to the church. We see the Spirit um, speaking about what direction to go in, which way should I go? Um, There's a vision of a man from Macedonia, Paul's contemplating his next journey, which way should I go? Um, As Peter's contemplating, well, who's in the church? Is it going to be Gentiles or Jews? The Spirit speaks in a vision on the rooftop as um, Agapus is contemplating the future of you know, the community in Jerusalem. God speaks about a famine that will come. So you see there's about 21 incidences in the book of Acts that actually have the spirit speaking in visions and dreams and angelic appearances come under that banner because normally in the scriptures you see angels appearing as a vision and you see that pattern occurring. So very quickly, fast forward from there, into the early church you see that pattern continuing you hit the second century and problems start to happen and what you see throughout the history of the church is that the spirit is continuing to speak but we start to see problems of well how do you know it's God so people get it wrong they make claims about what God's saying that are clearly not from God or you get people making claims that overreach the reminders that Jesus established so you get false sects and false cults arriving Mm -hmm. then you fast forward into the 4th century when the scriptures were complete and the issue becomes well how do I resolve the voice of the spirit today with what the spirit has already said and as time has gone on if we fast forward into the reformation period that then becomes a massive issue because it's an issue of authority if I've got the Catholic Church over here claiming certain doctrines because of an experience versus Martin Luther claiming authority because of the scriptures, you've now got a situation where the baby gets thrown out with the bathwater and the reformers had some really great things to say about reforming the church and justification by faith and grace. But when they did that, they swung the pendulum back and they focused on the fact of what the Spirit has said in the Scriptures, but then they rejected extra-biblical experiences from that as well. So you've got this legacy throughout history that most evangelicals have been soaked in, and that's where we find ourselves, right. that because we believe in the authority of the, of the Scriptures, we then reject experiences outside of that. But I don't think that's being true to the Scriptures themselves.
0: And that's kind of what set you back was that was your upbringing, right? Was that traditional thinking, Bible preaching, and then, wait, my experience isn't lining up. Now I've got to go back to scripture. I mean, you didn't just say, well, that's the way my experiences are. You said, no, 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 I'm going back to scripture and see what scripture really has yes. to say about this. So,
1: yes let me that's, move- e- that's exactly right. So
0: again, I want to move us through history just a little bit to like now, which there's no way we could explain every strand of Christianity and how they view um the speaking of the spirit right so but i but you do in your book outline a, i think you do a great summary of helping us realize like okay there's this tradition that thinks this there's this tradition that thinks this and there's this tradition that thinks this, this, that thinks this. so tell our audience that cuz i again it was something i really had even though i went i had two degrees from seminary i really had not thought well about this until I read it in your book. I'm like, oh yeah, like I'd heard it, but I really didn't know it. So share with us just yeah. like the different strains. Summarize that for us a little bit.
1: Yes. well, it was one of the first things I did when I started my PhD. I identified well, probably easiest to talk about three different groupings. One group said, okay, the Spirit has stopped speaking outside of the Bible today. So the only way God speaks through the Scriptures and through the teaching and exposition of the Scriptures. Those, that group would be called the cessationist group. The, the second group would be uh, a Pentecostal or slash Catholic approach where we would say that the Spirit speaks today in the same way that the Spirit spoke in the early church, i.e. the Spirit that was given on Pentecost was given to the early church also given to us today so you can expect that the spirit would speak in the same manner as the spirit spoke in the scriptures and in the new testament especially because um we see a a distinct movement from the old covenant to the new when jesus came we get more clarity when jesus came and of course we get the spirit speaking to everyone now so that changes the dynamic it's not just you know the lone voice in the wilderness um so that so that position says that there's consistency between now and then. There's consistency in the fact that God is able to speak and able to speak clearly. But there's consistency in the fact that humanity is flawed and misinterprets things according to you know, sin and what have you. So everything must be tested. So those two truths hold today as they did then. Then there's another group that are in between those two poles. Um, that you'll find also probably more in a sort of charismatic grouping, I would call it, where, where we would say the Spirit still speaks outside of the Bible, but what the Spirit says is not as um, qualitatively consistent with what the Spirit spoke in the New Testament. Hmm. So there's a distinction in the authority and in the quality and in the Spirit's ability to be heard clearly. So the Spirit could speak for our encouragement, but the Spirit wouldn't say anything directive or highly authoritative, like, "you do, I want you to do this. Um, let me give an example. Early on in my ministry, God spoke to me to change cities, to move from one state of Australia to another. He spoke in visions and dreams, made it very clear it was very, much confirmed in in the church, and, but it was still a bit radical because there was no reason to leave my home other than God had spoken. And the question was, should I move on the basis of that experience? And so one group would say yes, because when, for example, Paul was given a vision of Macedonia, go you know go west and preach mm-hmm. the gospel there, after the dream he packed up and he went west because he saw it was God and therefore it was authoritative and it should be obeyed. Can the Spirit still speak to me that way today? And so different traditions would say different things about that. The cessationist group would say, no, you were just having pizza the night before and obviously (laughs) it wasn't God because God doesn't speak like that. Um, The Pentecostals would say, yes, if it's God, you must go. Off you go. That's faith and obedience, just like Abraham left his city. Um, And the middle group would say, maybe, maybe not. You know, it's a bit like counseling. Maybe you could do it like advice. It's up to you. But probably God wouldn't speak like that because it's a little bit radical.
0: So
1: I think that's how I would describe it. That's probably the best way of understanding it.
0: That's a really good illustration. One, one of the things I admired about our conversation and how you address, it, you address this in your book is the fact that many of us, particularly those of us coming out of an evangelical um, tribe, <laughs> find it um risky business to trust that God can speak, right? And the reason why is because well first of all because we've been taught differently, but also um because there um there has we have seen abuses and misuses of this, right? Like there are people who say, well I killed her because God told me to. Or we could even see like I, I talked to you recently about you know, how do, how do we know when someone says they're, that God said this? Like I think about Pat Robinson recently right before the – the election, made the statement that Trump was going to win, that there was going to be lots of bloodshed in the streets of the United States, and then he went on to say that we were going to be at war, and then an asteroid was going to hit the United States and ruin it. And so, like, you know, those of us from the background who've been taught, like, you can't trust people who say God gave them a vision, because look at this, how they do this, right? Um, So you talk about that, like, you don't ignore the fact that there is a, that this is risky business, that there's fear involved, and that there's damage done and so what would you say to us about um how
1: how would you speak to that fear if you will so there's a little bit of a tension between yes sons and daughters young and old male and female we can all hear God's voice isn't this wonderful and embracing it encouraging it but then with this big corollary over that but um you can get it right but you can also get it wrong And one of the problems um, in the Pentecostal tradition, I think that relates to what you've said, is that we haven't really understood how things should be tested. And I think part of the problem is we need to go back to the model of the early church. I remember someone said to me once, and I was talking about these experiences at an academic conference, he said, oh, yes, but your experience is very subjective, isn't it? I said, yeah, much like the Apostle Peter on his rooftop, waiting for lunch and he dreams of food you know that's highly subjective how did he know it was God and so uh in my work I looked at what is the best model for discernment and it's a very strict model I would argue because the early church didn't just look at um you know I had an experience but it was very thoroughly tested and if you have a look at more closely at Peter's experience at the rooftop, you'll see some of the tests that go around it. And one of the key ones, I think, and we haven't really captured this very well, is if the Spirit was given by Jesus as the continuing voice of Jesus on the earth, then what I'm hearing must be consistent with Jesus, the living Mm -hmm. Word of God, who, who spoke the Word of God, but also did it. So not just what he said, but what he did. And so we're not testing it against the scriptures per se, because the scriptures themselves tell us that Jesus is the ultimate image of the living God, the perfect image. So we we can see clearly the kinds of things that the Spirit will say. So is what the Spirit is saying to Peter on the rooftop, consistent with the life of Jesus, and then we go back to his pattern of operating with the Gentiles and the things that he said about going into all the nations and the fact that he healed um, the centurion's son and the way he treated the Samaritan, you know, talked about the Samaritan, and that's our benchmark, and I think perhaps some of the problems, for example, in, say, a prophecy that said, um, that talked about the political system in America, is that... The, the systemic process is taking the paradigm from the old covenant, which is a shadow of the new, and kind of ignoring the fact that Jesus is the filter by which we should understand our experiences and testing against that standard, but then also looking at the role of the community. So when Peter heard from God, he wasn't the only person hearing from God. Cornelius, on the other side of of town in Caesarea, he was hearing from God at the same time and it's like the Spirit brings them together and they have this conversation, well, what did you see and what did you hear? And they discover that the Spirit was speaking to them both. And then when they get together and preach the good news to the, to the Gentiles, the Spirit falls and there are signs and wonders that accompany the Word. So you see this very clear pattern of discernment and I suspect what was happening with many of those false prophecies is that people were hearing what they wanted to hear and what their paradigm was saying and rather than looking okay let's look at the model of Jesus what did Jesus say about politics right you know, his focus was on the kingdom of god right. and at least making that our starting point and understanding that when we make a claim to hearing from god this is a this is a serious claim we need to be very humble about making those kind of claims and i think there's a level of healthy skepticism that we need to see in the church. Otherwise we just manipulate right. and make things up. And that can be really, really dangerous. dangerous. Yep.
0: I love how you said we need a healthy dose of humility when it comes to this, right? Cause as you said earlier, you can get it right and you can get it wrong. But ultimately and I hope what our audience heard and I love love loved when you said this to me earlier is that it's Christ-centric, right? One of the discernments is like mm-hmm. how, how do how do we know for sure is it Christ-centric? Look look and see would Jesus say that? Would Jesus do yes. that? And then again, yes. is it being also said like in community? Is it is it just one voice saying or is it actually being repeated? And um, isn't it mm. interesting when I gave my example about my husband and I going to seminary? I mean, that was repeated in community, right? Because he's like, "That's what God's saying to me, too." Um,
1: exactly. And, yeah. Go ahead. And you see this even in my re- in my research, you, God was speaking twice on on all the big issues, and this happened. It's happened several times in my own personal life that when God says something to me, I don't I don't move on it until it's extremely clear and it's confirmed through a voice outside of myself because I can get it wrong. And, you know, I love what you said, Jackie, at the beginning. I knew it was God because it wasn't something I would think of. That has been my, that's my testimony all the way, you know. Um, you oh, know, yeah. Be generous when you don't want to. Forgive yeah. when you, ha- you don't want to. You know, I, I tell a story in the book um, about how God spoke to a, a pastor. I want to be a pastor about making the bed. And um, <laughs> instead of his wife doing it, whenever I tell the story, I watched the face of the men in the room. <laughs> They're kind of crestfallen. Please, God, don't say that to me. Right. Don't, tell me think, don't
0: tell me uh, to make my wife's bed in order for me to learn what it yeah, means to be a pastor. Yeah. Don't tell me that.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, oh, it's, it's a bit of a giggle. But the thing is that everything that God says is going to make us into the likeness of God. So you're going to expect that when the Spirit speaks, it's going to take you to the foot of the cross. It's going to call you to crucify your sin and your selfishness and and your agendas. It's going to happen and it's going to transform you. So it is a bit scary, I have to say, because I look back and I think, wow, taking the risk of listening to the Spirit completely changed the direction of my life. Mm -hmm. And now... There, on the other side of the cross is a resurrection. and So Jesus said when you lose your life, you gain it, and there is more freedom, there's more intimacy with God, there's more joy than we could ever imagine. And you, you come out knowing God. Um, I, I, I describe it like I used to know God like the Queen of England through the pages of a magazine. You know, you can read all about her hobbies and her favorite color and how old she is because someone told you. But it's very different to sit down and have a cup of tea with her. Um, your relationship is very different very when different. you start to hear the voice of the Spirit for yeah. yourself. And so the analogy. Uh, it, it
0: just, so let me just. Like an analogy I've heard someone use. I won't name them because some people think he's heretical, but this illustration I think is perfect. Um, He says, you know, there's different ways that we know things, right? We come to know things from different ways. Like, like if you wanted to study lips, you could take a little bit off your lip, put it on a a slide and put it underneath a microscope and you could study the facts of what makes the lip, right? But being kissed on the lips, that's a whole other way of knowing. And I think that's what we're talking about, right? You can read and know a lot about Jesus, which actually you probably need to do if you're ever going to like... In order to answer the question, is this something Jesus would do? Is this something Jesus would say? You actually have to read the scriptures and like get to know them through there, also, right? Um, but we're talking about like being kissed on the lips. This kind of knowing um, is, is what we're describing here. So let me ask you this because I, I think it's kind of a twofold question. Um, there are people listening who are going to say, I have never heard God speak and I can't hear God speak. And then then also, if you would address that, but also in your research, you talk about the fact that uh, research shows that certain personalities are actually better at hearing God's voice.
1: Um, So can you elaborate on that? Yes. Well, can I just say too, as I do that, answer that question, the truth is that probably every one of your listeners is already hearing the voice of the spirit but just hasn't recognized it. And I I do, you know, I think that the worst thing that could come out of listening to this podcast is for someone to feel really condemned. Mm -hmm. Well, I've never had an experience like that. And the truth is that the Spirit is speaking. And what we, I often liken it to, you know, the story of Elijah and Gehazi um, and, you know, back in the Old Testament Mm -hmm. where Elijah sees the armies of heaven but Gehazi can't see them and he prays, Open the eyes of my servant. And the truth is the armies of heaven were always there. It's just that one person saw it and one person didn't. So it's just a process of opening our eyes and opening our ears to recognise, okay, that was the spirit. I remember praying for a lady once and she come came up to me and she she said, ah oh, um please pray for me, Tanya. I've never heard the voice of the spirit. And I said, Okay, well let's do that. So I started to pray and in my mind's eye I saw a picture um, of money bags, you know, like with um, dollar signs on them and so I started to pray, Lord please give this lady wisdom about how she's using her money and the next day she came up to me at church and said, Tanya, I've heard from the Spirit, she said we have just come into a big sum of money and we thought that God was telling us to do this, this and this but I didn't think it was God and then you prayed exactly what we had heard and I know that it's God and see the beautiful thing is that she was already hearing from God. She just hadn't recognized it. And I often say, Jesus said, my people know my voice. I know them. Yes. And they follow. So we actually have to recognize before we can have the confidence to follow. So I think it starts with a posture of the heart, saying, God, your spirit was given to me as a part of the new covenant and I can hear your voice. So please open my eyes to see, open my ears to hear. Help me to see through the eyes of my spirit because I want to follow you. So we start with that posture of fellowship, Lord, whatever you say, I will do, scared as we may be. That's right. And then we are now in a position, in a, in a posture. There's nothing we need to do. We just need to posture our hearts. And then the spirit comes to speak. In my research um, and, and in the research of others in this area, some interesting studies have been done that show that there are definitely personality types that are more sensory and can pick up on things, you know, the intuitive personalities. And these are the ones in church life, I think, who, you know, they're sniffing out the spirit. Uh, My friend is one of them. She walks in a room, she says, Tanya, can can you feel the atmosphere, you know, the spirit present? And I'm looking at her with a blank face, like, what? No. No? (laughs) Can't sense anything. I don't (laughs) know what you're talking talking about? about. In the Pentecostal church, people pray for me and they fall over. <laughs> um, I'm very, I'm very left-brain analytical thinker. Uh, those, I don't, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not so sensory, but they, I understand that there are certain personalities that are definitely suited to this, and perhaps for the people with the gifts of prophecy, um, they can hear from God really well, and particularly for other people. But at the same time, time the spirit was given to all sons and daughters young and old so the spirit is non-discriminatory so what i have learned time and time again is that it's the spirit's initiative to speak the spirit's Mm. initiative to speak in whatever way that he needs to but it's my initiative my prerogative to listen so i just posture my heart and god sends all sorts of people or donkeys or whatever you would like to call it Mm. and makes it very easy for me so i I think we need to trust more in God's ability to speak than our capacity to hear.
0: Yeah, and and um, and I don't want to go into this too much because I need to move on to the next thing, but also just like understanding that we don't demand when God speaks. Like um, just because we're ready, like we get into a prayer mode and we sit down and we sit in the chair and we're ready, ready to hear God speak, right? Yeah. And, and that's we got 15 minutes for our prayer time and whatever it is and and then we you know nothing it's like it's just bouncing off the the ceiling you know and then all of a sudden you might be on a bike ride 2 days later and boom there comes something about right we don't get to tell god when he talks to us. Yeah. Um yes. Yeah. Right. So that's god, part Jesus part time. of that's exactly right. Part of posturing is recognizing uh, that God can speak to us anywhere at any time, and yes, even when we're quiet and silenced. But also when we're in the shower, or I, you know, I used to be a runner. Mm-hmm. I can't run as much anymore. But people, partly, I had to just burn off energy because I'm a New Yorker living in Texas and um, mm-hmm. in ministry. And <laughs> I needed if I was going into a meeting, I'd be like, okay, let me run five miles, and then I can go into the meeting and not blow everybody up. But also because that was actually when I heard Jesus talk a lot, like he talked a lot while I was running. Um, And so the point is we don't get to demand um, the savior of the universe gets to gets to decide when and where and how he will speak. But I want to move on to the very the, the very last part here, which is the part that I think is the hardest for evangelicals, and it's this idea of visions and dreams. I mean, even when we say it, and I know we've been talking about it kind of all the way through, and I just wanted to share with our listeners um, – since most of them know me fairly personally and trust me, I want to kind of put out there um, a couple examples of where I actually have had visions and dreams. Um, and that even sounds so big and lofty, but the truth is it, it wasn't that like, ooh Um But I remember one time I was sitting in, in the, sorry, I have allergies, but I was sitting in the pews and our pastor was preaching and suddenly sitting there, there was like, I don't know, a a wisp, a smoke. I can't even put my hand on it, but I knew there was this thing that went past me and it was, I knew it was the spirit. I knew it was the presence of God. And it took Mm -hmm. me back. Like I, I sat back in my seat a little bit and my husband even turned to me and said, are you all right? And I was like, yeah, 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 I'm I'm fine. And as the spirit went past, the spirit said, you're going to be up there preaching now, again, mm. nothing I wanted to do. Like people that, women that get up in that pulpit, they get shot. Like that was not, I, I loved teaching women. I had no desire to teach men. And I, I was freaked out because I knew, like I knew, like I knew, again, nothing I wanted to do. I knew that was God telling me, get ready. And I went home. I didn't tell anybody. I went home, wrote it in my journal. And a couple of years later, my church took on this question of, can women preach from the pulpit underneath the authority of God? Of the elders, ba, ba, ba. And I ended up being the first preacher. And I remember when my pastor said to me, I'm insisting you be the first. I was like, No, 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 no. Why don't you pick Sue? She's older and her kids are grown. And so she can die, you know, like she's ready to go. And I've got little yeah. ones, you know, like, and, but I knew, I knew that I was going to be the one because the spirit had already prepped me. And so it, the beautiful thing that I gained from that experience, that vision, if you will, was security and anchoring. Like, I knew this was going to cost me. I knew I was going to get hammered. Um, I knew I would need courage. But I knew like I knew like I knew I was saying yes to Jesus. And so I was okay with taking it, you know? So that was one example. Beautiful. And the second is one time I was asleep. And um, when my kids were younger, my greatest fear um, was that someone would come in my home and harm my children. I, I, had like even a, an abnormal fear about it actually. And one night I sound asleep and I'm not kidding, the spirit said, woke me up in my sleep and said, get up, go to the back door and your garage and close them because they're open and there is danger outside. So I get mm-hmm. up calm as calm, get up calm. Now this is my worst nightmare. right? And I get up very calm. I walk to the garage. Sure as anything, the door is open. I walk to the backyard. Sure as anything, the back door is open. I close them. I go back into my bedroom and I go sound asleep, not even freaked out. And I would tell you the reason I wasn't freaked out is because I had this supernatural sense of peace. It was like, here's what's happening. Here we go. And I've got you. And I knew it. And so two experiences I've had. And the interesting thing is I've, I have shared, uh, my husband and I used to belong to a pastor's group, um, so they were senior pastors, all-male pastors of mega churches in the Dallas Metroplex, and we would all get together and chit-chat at times, and I shared one time a vision that I had that kind of freaked me out, and I was struggling and needed some insight, and what shocked me was one by one as we went around the table, every pastor there admitted that they had had a vision or a dream in their mm-hmm. lifetime, and more than one and yet i'd never heard one of them share it from the pulpit so
1: isn't that
0: fascinating it's well it's it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a it's a it's it's like an it's irony right like wait a minute you were having these experiences and yet we're not going to talk <laughs> about them and yet you're going to teach that there's, they don't <laughs> exist like i know i've i i actually did it i did the same thing i didn't teach it right but i was experiencing it so you know as we close what would you say to us about the visions and dreams like ground us a little bit in that those of us that that freaks us out
1: I completely relate to what you're saying about people thinking it very strange I remember when I ended up moving into state on the basis of a number of dreams and I would sometimes be honest about why I come and the reactions in people's faces when I told them you know as they rolled their eyes and Walked away, uh, and then I would think, okay, but haven't you read the Christmas story? Like Mary and Joseph would be in exactly the same position when they arrived in Egypt. They mm-hmm. heard from God in a dream, and they and they followed it. So, why this disconnect between what we believe is true biblical history and what God's done in the past? Why is God suddenly changed? And I, I think it's just a paradigm shift, but. When you do a a bit of a survey of how God spoke in the Scriptures in biblical history, the main way is in visions and dreams. Even Numbers 12.6, God describes his own way of speaking. He says, I speak in visions and dreams and through prophets because the prophets heard from God in visions and dreams and then passed the messages on, prophesied them to the people. So if if you do a a survey of the whole, whole of the Bible, the main way God uses is through this pictorial mode and I have thought long and hard about why and I think I have a background in education and every good teacher knows that visuals are one of the most powerful tools of communication. We we say a picture tells a thousand words Mm -hmm. and there's something about visuals. I mean I, I imagine Peter on the rooftop and he's hungry and he's waiting for lunch and he's thinking, What's on the menu to eat, you know? If the cloth comes down from heaven. It's like, what's going to be my favorite food? And then this appalling spread of unclean animals comes up. And, you know, he's repulsed by it. And it happens over and over again. And he hears this voice, get up, kill and eat. And he's completely confused now as he comes out of that vision. And then he, he hears a knock on the door and he goes down to the to the, the front of his house and opens it up. And what does he see? Roman soldiers. Oh, repulsed. These are people I can't. Eat with, I can't fellowship with, and they're inviting me to, to, to Cornelius's house, and he's repulsed by it because everything in him says, You can't do that, they're unclean. And then the penny drops, and he realizes, ah, oh, now I realize that the Spirit is saying that God doesn't play favorites, the Gentiles are welcome at the table too. Mm. So there's something very powerful about the visual that really touches our emotions, and neurology has really backed this up. So I often say that God is just speaking in ways that science are just discovering are the most effective tools of communication. So it, it, it's I think if it's foreign to our ears it does sound a little bit ooky spooky and partly that's because people um, think that every dream they have is from God, which is obviously not true. Right. In the same way that every you know, every internal voice is clearly not from God. But in fact it's we have to be very careful again about what we attribute to God and what we don't. But that God does use this as a medium speaking by the spirit. And I, I just I mean I love that story about your garage door being open because Jesus said that when I leave, don't worry, I'm gonna send you my spirit. My my spirit's gonna continue the ministry that I started and it's like having Jesus with us. So you're hearing from the spirit and you're going out to the garage and you feel this supernatural peace. It's like having the spirit with you and Jesus said it's better if I go, you know, because prior to this I was limited to a physical body, you know geographical location, but now my spirit goes to with you and speaks to you in while you're sleeping and while you're doing the dishes and while you're driving to work and what a privilege we Mm -hmm. have. It is have. It is. Jesus with us the whole time. Yeah. Through the spirit. So uh I, I it's the biggest blessing ever and I'm so passionate about it because I see the difference it makes and I think it's important to reconcile our questions. I think it's really important to understand the place of the Bible and not to get confused by that, but to be true to the Bible, to understand that the Scriptures themselves testify to Jesus' words that my spirit will go with you and speak to you about not just what I've done and what I've said in the Gospel, but also about things to come.
0: So with that, would you please tell our audience the name of your book, when it will be ready? Because I know it's not quite ready yet, but it's it's written. It's just in its final stages. Where it you, is. How will they find it? And then where can they connect up with you?
1: Yes, very easily. We have a website called Godconversations.com. And this is my second book. I wrote another book called God Conversations, very original title which is a very different type of book. It has a whole lot of stories in it, which I think are really fun to read. A little bit of a testimony of my journey trying to work this out. Um, But the second book is, as you say, well, it's written and it's going through a beta reader stage where I gather feedback and where I'm submitting it to the publishers. So stay tuned. We're hoping for a release sometime this year. But um, my website will have all that kind of detail as well. But there's also a bunch of podcasts and blogs and videos that cover some of the things that we've talked about today as well and they're all free and available
0: so. excellent and I really want to encourage everybody to check out her website it's God Conversations it's an excellent name for a website So, um, and her book yes. coming out soon yes. be looking for that because again it has a lot of historical data it has a lot of um, research behind it a lot of biblical grounding and so I think it's really a well balanced helpful book for those of us who are coming um, from an evangelical perspective so thank you Tanya for taking time this morning and Um, all the way from Australia and walking us through some of this information.
1: My absolute pleasure. Thanks, Jackie.